so we're, we're talking in this series about things that, that can stall us out spiritually or thwart our spiritual growth. Let me tell, tell you something that will spur on your spiritual growth. Okay, Loving God and loving people spurs on our spiritual growth. We are 12 days out from night to shine. Okay, um, Our guest list is complete, meaning we open that registration for 150 guests, and we have 150 guests registered to be here on that night. So we're really excited about that. Um, there's still some needs that we have. One is for volunteers. We have 20-something positions available for that. We need some 54 different buddies to be able to join lives and hearts with those guests for that night. So I encourage you to continue to think about how you can put your life into play. Other things that are needed donation-wise, you can see your bulletin for all that information. This service in particular, let me just give you a heads up. Next Sunday, February 2nd, after this service, we're going to transform our whole building from a church building into a um, place where a prom is going to be held for 150 guests who will be crowned king and queen of the prom and reminded that they are sons and daughters of God and loved by him. For that to happen, like the seat that you're sitting in will probably not last five minutes after that service is over. All right, all the seats are coming up. If you have kids in our kids' wing, next week is a rapid uh, pickup Sunday so that your kids don't get carted off into storage somewhere for the week <laughs> or something like that. All right, now I don't think we'll do that, but I'm just saying. Um, and we're going to need all of our help for probably, I mean, if we all stick around, probably 30 minutes will be done. So we could really use your help after the service next week to help transform this and let our ministry teams there for Night to Shine just begin to get their areas ready and set this place up and prepare for what will be a, a wonderful evening for our guests. Okay? Now something else that will help spur on your spiritual growth is study of God's Word. Okay? Two weeks from now, September 13th for the men, um, on a Thursday night, September 12th for the ladies, uh, the men are going to start a study called Stepping Up. Some of you know you need to be in connection with other men on this journey. It's a great opportunity for you. Uh, Psalm 23 is a great study that ladies are going into. So you can sign up for those things, register for them, plan on participating. Again, more information in your bulletin. Uh, save the date for the February um, Wednesday night, February the 19th. Uh, about four or five months ago, we had a night of prayer and worship, and we're just committed to continuing to grow people in, in prayer and in worship and connecting people to God. And that night, it was a beautiful night we had several months ago, and uh, we're going to do that again on February 19th, and it'll be a blessing for you to be here. In your bulletin, you'll note there's, a, there's an insert, okay? Um, can I just say away from the election coming up, and uh, it's hard to get out of the political season anymore because it all is what it is, that we just believe, um, like, sanctity of life is a God issue, not a political issue, okay? Uh, we believe what that series that we went through in the fall from Psalm 139, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, each one of us, that we have been knit together in our mother's womb, that God is the author of life. And while our world will try to politicize that, um, like we, we rise above that in the church to remember that God is the author of life and that God is also the giver of grace. And so wherever we encounter people 
on this journey of life. We bring the light of God to them and the love of God to them and the grace of God to them, knowing that it's only because we've experienced his light and because we uh, are recipients of his love and because he gives us his grace that any of us have um, the ability to connect with him and be in his presence. And so um, away from all of the stuff that's going to happen 10 months from now in an election, can we just agree that we are God's people? and that God values life, and we value life, and we value all people, all right? Let's pray together about that. Father, thank you for the gift of life. Lord, our world is a messed up place, and the truth is sometimes we are messed up people. Short of your grace and your truth and your love, Lord, we would be lost. Even with them, we struggle in a world that's so lost. But Lord, we know that you are the author of life that there is no chance that could create us. That it's only by your hand and your word and your power that life came into existence and that our life is. And Lord, we honor you with that. And may our hearts and our lives honor you and your causes. Um, may we be um, heralds of truth about your your involvement in life from beginning to end. Lord, may we help people in this life who are struggling with all kinds of issues and deals in their life because of the enemy. May we be messengers of truth and love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we uh, chart on in our Overcome series, today we're going to talk about uh, what's often a big challenge to our spiritual growth, and that is the, the, the pursuit of and the love of money. Now, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, so turn with me. We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 6, but I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5. Okay, you got a Bible in front of you, you got your Bible apps, maybe you brought your Bible with you. Um, Jesus, at this point, is in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, He's got a large audience, and it's teaching them what it looks like, and us, what it looks like for our lives to reflect the righteousness of God. Now, you remember two weeks ago we talked about the transaction that takes place, right? When I accept Christ and I accept his death for my sins, God gives me the righteousness of Jesus so that I become righteous, and God took from me my sin, and Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Now, so there's a, kind of this double reality when God sees me, he sees a person that is righteous. Okay? Now, when all of you look at me, eh, sometimes it's not quite that way, right? Because we know it's going to take a lifetime, and ultimately, God to take us with him to be in heaven before we will reflect perfectly the righteousness of God. Okay? That said, God expects between now and then that we are going to grow in that righteousness. So Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, about righteousness. And he knows that in the crowd there are Pharisees, there are teachers of the law, there are those who on the outside look really good because they do the right things. But they, like us, know that like on the inside, like, like you can look at my actions, just don't look at my thoughts. <laughs> like those things in my heart, they're kind of rough. And Jesus knew that. Right? So he tells the people 
in Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Like if it never, it never goes beyond your actions to your heart, it's not going to happen because it hasn't penetrated your life. And so he's going to lay out the contrast of what it looks like to look righteous and what it looks like to be righteous. Okay, reflect God's righteousness in areas like um, relational peace, okay? marital purity, trustworthy speech, responses to being wronged, loving difficult people, giving to those in need, praying to God, fasting and relationships that we have with money and the relationship that we have with worry, all of these different issues or areas that he's going to teach in. And then he's going to come to Matthew 6.33 at the end of this section on righteousness, and he's going to say this, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you or given to you as well. So let's let Jesus teach us and the Holy Spirit unfold his word for us as we consider what Jesus says in chapter 6 about the treasure of our hearts. Look at chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 and read with me in your Bible from there. He says, do not store up for yourselves, this is Jesus talking, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's going to open this dialogue, this section of his message on money, and it would have fallen on ears that would have been conflicted. And maybe you are conflicted in our world as at times, because there's two prevailing thoughts about wealth in Jesus' time. The first one said that material wealth, okay, was, um, it was like God's blessing and your reward for obedience. So if you were wealthy, God's hand was obviously on you, okay? We know that's not completely true because there are illegitimate ways, ungodly ways to gain wealth. And to assume that just because someone has wealth means that they have God's blessing, just doesn't pass the smell test, right? It doesn't, it's not reality because you know that not all of that wealth has been gained honoring to God. But on the other hand, there was this theory that said, um, remember that wealth is not the final determination of one's spiritual standing before God. Meaning, just because you're not wealthy doesn't mean that you're not right with God. And just because you are wealthy doesn't mean that you are right with God. And I, that's not a whole lot different sometimes than what um, people might not say out loud, but what people think these days as well. And certainly we could agree that that second one is true, couldn't we? That your wealth is not equal to your position with God. I think we see that all throughout the scriptures. So sometimes people are confused, and sometimes we're confused, and sometimes... Um, like, there's reasons why people accumulate treasure on this earth. Okay? Let me think through with you five different reasons that people pursue money or wealth or status or things. The first one is security. I mean, people want to know that they're going to be taken care of. 
Okay? And it could come from growing up in a family where they didn't feel taken care of, but they want to know they can be taken care of, and they think that the greatest security I have is having material security, knowing that everything's going to be okay. Sometimes it has to do with personal worth. Right? People are pursuing money or stuff or status because they think that their personal value is tied to their accumulation of wealth or possessions, that somehow their earthly treasures are indicators of their level of success. Lots of different reasons we might do that, even things that we are taught, but it's one of the reasons. Number three, sometimes it's related to power. People believe that they can get what they want or they can be what they want if they accumulate enough wealth. And so doing, they feel like they can control their own fate or sometimes, if they're honest, they feel like they can control the people in their life because they have the wealth to do it. Sometimes, number four, people pursue it because of independence. They believe they have enough wealth that they're not going to rely on someone else. And many of us have been in a spot where we had to rely on someone like, I don't ever want to have to rely on someone again. So it drives a set of actions and a set of values that might get us there, but it might not get us where God wants us to be. And then number five, sometimes it's just simply out of pleasure. People thinking, I want to indulge myself, and, and wealth allows me to choose or chase any dream and pursue any pleasure that I want. Now, you're not going to find in Scripture those really saying, that a boy, <laughs> you know, go after that. But it's the world we live in, and it's the, it's the tension that all of us as God's people live in in this culture. But I ask you, like, like which of those things, of those five things on the screen, which of those is going to increase your righteousness? Which one um, is going to bring you closer to God or His ideal for your life? Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't place your trust in things that are subject to being consumed. Things that diminish in value. Things that will ultimately perish. He says that's foolishness. And it's not going to bring you the security you think that it will. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Perhaps referring to like these choices that he's been talking about in chapters 5 and 6 a life that's given to God, righteousness that reflects God's righteousness, those things that he's spelling out, I think what we should understand is that Jesus just isn't talking about a contrast of treasure. He's contrasting values here. He's talking about a contrast of values here in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? For those of us who want to grow spiritually, meaning we want to grow into the purpose we were created for and the picture um, of holiness that God designed us for, like if that's what we want to pursue and that is our goal, right? the treasure of our hearts have to be found in God himself. Right? Now he goes beyond that and he's going to address that practically. And he's going to go on and talk about the conduit to the heart. And he's talking about our eyes. Okay? You have to understand the, the illustration he's using, but look down at verse 22. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. 
if the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, he says, how great is that darkness? Now, to understand these verses, we, we keep them in the context. We read about the treasure he's talking about in verses 19 to 21, and we'll get to 24 here in a minute, but Jesus is speaking um, metaphorically about the eye as something that illuminates the inner life. So if the heart contain, contains, as Jesus said, the treasure of our life, what the eye focuses on, when it focuses on something of value, it becomes a conduit to the heart. He's saying, if you want to fill your heart with good treasure, focus your eyes on good things. And if you want to fill your heart with the things of this world, focus your eyes on those things. Because what you set your eyes on uh, is what you're going to fill your heart with. He said, That's your treasure. So if the eye is good, it allows the heart to be filled with God's treasure. If the eye is unhealthy, literally the word unhealthy there means evil. If the eye is evil, the heart becomes darkened. And in the context of Matthew 6 here, as well as other places in the New Testament, in the Jewish culture, you remember when we were growing up, or maybe even these days, they talk about the evil eye? Like, I know what the evil eye looks like. Like, that's, the, that's what, how Grandma looks at me when I'm fighting with my sister. That's the evil eye, you know, or mom and dad, or, or if I'm, you know, my kids are in the back seat, like there's the evil eye, but in their culture, the evil eye was a thing, and it meant an eye that was full of coveting something that belonged to someone else. So if your eye is unhealthy, or if your eye is evil, or if your eye is set on coveting something that belongs to someone else, it's greed. If your heart is set on personal, tre- personal significance or earthly treasure, like if that's what's of value to you, then you're going to look for things that will fill your heart with that treasure. Remember two weeks ago we looked at that passage that the writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 12 where he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame sat down at the right hand of the father jesus is saying you cannot fix your eyes on both at the same time you can't fix your eyes on the things of this world as a treasure and on god himself as a treasure you've likely heard the uh the story of the uh older Cherokee grandfather speaking to his grandson and teaching him lessons of life. He said, grandson, the, the, there's a battle going on inside of us between two wolves. It's like two wolves. One is, one is evil. It's full of anger and envy and greed and arrogance and self-pity and guilt and resentment and lies and false pride and, and ego. The other wolf it's a good wolf, and it's filled with things like joy and peace and love and hope and righteousness and kindness and generosity and truth and compassion and, and faith. And the grandson thinks for a little while, and he said, Grandfather, like, like which wolf wins? And the grandfather said, the one you feed the most. 
Who's going to win your heart? The question is, how are you, what are you feeding your heart? What are your eyes focused on? The eyes are the lamp of the body, Jesus says. If what you take in is good, your heart will be good. And if what you take in is covetous or evil, what you take in will be bad. The eye is the lamp of the body, which brings us really to the core of what Jesus is saying here. And it has to do with the master of our hearts. Look down at verse 24. Two treasures, two eyes must choose between two masters. Verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus could have used a bunch of different words when he says serve. He could have used a word like an employee, but he doesn't. He uses the word for slave. Okay? Now, an employee can serve two employers, right? Many of us have worked two jobs before. It's not a pleasant thing, and it's a challenge, and it has its own difficulties, but it can be done. But a slave is exclusive. No one can slave themselves to two masters, Jesus says. And Jesus said that, that the loyalty, like it's an extreme. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll despise one and be devoted to the other. And we understand when he says love here, he's not talking about an emotion, but a pattern of life. What does the pattern of your life show about who or what you love? And what direction are you pursuing? And if you figure out that answer, then you probably have started figuring out to why I am or why I am not growing spiritually. You think about it, when was, when was the last time that you rejected something simply because you knew it wouldn't draw you closer to God, okay? Or because you knew it would create a distance between you and God. When's the last time you said no to a purchase because you knew that that purchase would lead to stealing either time between you and God or time with you and God's people? Because to serve that purchase mean I had to use it, and to use it meant I had to pull myself away from things that would help me to grow spiritually. When's the last time you said no to a purchase because you knew that like to serve that purchase would mean I would have to service that debt? And to service that debt would mean I would have to work more or stress more or choose between paying my bills or changing my style of life or giving to God. Those are the hinges that um, this, these choices float on there. Jesus is talking about the love of money and I think by way of application, the love of the things that money can buy. Now, some of your Bibles in verse 24 say, you cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? That word literally means wealth or riches or property. I, I was reading this week, I like, Philip Yancey has a friend who says to him that the Bible asks three things with regard to our relationship with money. I put them in your notes there. And no blanks, just so I made sure you got it, right? The first one is this. How did you get it? The second is, what are you doing with it? And the third, and I think most important, what is it doing to you? The heart of our ability to be generous is what our money is doing to us. 
Is it withering our hearts and making us stingy toward God and His purposes? Or is it making us big-hearted and benevolent toward God and His purpose? Listen, money is not the problem. Things are not the problem. The heart is the problem. Led by the eyes, Jesus says, because we let money and possessions become our master. And when we do, we realize like greed and covetousness, they are like favorite traps of the enemy. And the world we live in calls us to them so deeply. And they are enemies of spiritual growth. Listen, if, I mean, you might as well try to grow a beautiful flower in a pot filled with Roundup as to try to grow a beautiful spiritual life in a heart that is full of greed and coveting. It simply is going to squeeze the life out of it and kill it. Now let's talk about the biblical antidote to greed and to coveting. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul, I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, Paul gives us this antidote. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, Paul says, not money, not things, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you want to store up for yourself treasures in heaven? Do you want to have the light of God in your eyes? Do you want to have the peace and self-control in the midst of a world that's trying to convince you that your worth and your value and your happiness and your success are somehow found in possessing the latest thing that someone's trying to sell you? Listen, learn to be content. That is the biblical antidote to greed and to covetousness. Pray for contentment. Practice contentment. Trust that God is enough for you. Loving God is more than um, just an emotion. It's serving Him and giving yourself to Him completely. Now listen, I'm not making light of financial struggles or burdens. Most of us have gone through them and many have gone through in multiple ways. Okay? I've been through seasons without work. I've been through seasons where I worked more than one job. I've been through seasons of you know, trying to raise four teenagers on a single income. I've been through seasons where I was uh, really good with my finances, and I've been through some where I was not so good with my finances, where I've been faithful and where I have struggled to provide. I've been foolish at times. Right? Most of my life I have given to God faithfully, but there have been times when I have really struggled with, am I going to pay that bill? Am I going to give to God or am I going to change my lifestyle? Right? That's just the reality of the world that we live in and those are times when the choice we make determines whether we grow spiritually or oftentimes whether we stall spiritually. But I've learned to trust Him and I've learned that He's faithful. And I've learned that when I stick with him 
and his ways, I put myself in a place where he eventually can bless me and take me through a difficult time. Sometimes I've got to learn a lesson, right? But I'd rather learn the lesson and stick with God than I would be foolish and stubborn and selfish and pay the price and my family pay the price for a longer time. Now, Jesus is going to finish this passage after this with a whole section on worry that we'll come back to a different time uh, because it really has value in this discussion. But let's look back at the end of what Jesus says there in chapter 6, verse 33 again, where he closes this passage out by saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. I like to read Henry Nguyen. Um, some people like to read his books. I like to read short snippets of what he has to say. And, and there's a part that he says that really applies to what we're talking about today. So let me share it with you. He said, I am growing in the awareness that God wants my whole life, not just part of it. Not enough to just give, it's not enough to just give so much time and attention to God and then keep the rest for myself. It's not enough to pray often and deeply and then move on from there to my own projects to return to God means to return to God with all that I am and all that I have I cannot return to God with just half of my being I realize that God's love is a jealous love God not wants not just a part of me but all of me only when I surrender myself completely to God's call can I expect to be free from endless distractions ready to hear the voice of love, and able to recognize my own unique call. In this world, there are many other voices speaking loudly. Prove that you are loved. Prove that you're worth something. Prove that you have a contribution to make. Do something relevant. Be sure to make a name for yourself. At least have some power. Then people will love you. <laughs> then people will say you're wonderful. You're great. These voices are so strong. They touch our hidden insecurities and drive us to become very busy trying to prove that to the world that we are good people who deserve some kind of attention. Listen, hear what God says. God says you are loved, period. No qualifiers, no asterisks, no performance based on that. You are loved. No ledger of your money, no ledger of your accomplishments, no ledger of your performance. God says you are loved, and so quit trying to chase love in so many other areas. I love the story about uh, Ann Landers. It was written in her column one time about um, a friend talking about this couple that she knew. And the husband had gained a lot of wealth, but he'd been an incredibly selfish person. Saved it, spent it on himself, but it was all his and it was obvious. And so he, he's getting ready to die, as we all do. <laughs> and he said to his wife, I want you to make me a promise. And she said, okay, I will. He said, I want you to take all the money that I've made, and when I die, I want you to put it in my casket so that I can take it with me and have it for when I'm gone. And she said, okay, I'll do it. And so the friend's watching this thinking, you're nuts, right? He's thinking, and... And they're at the visitation, right, in the funeral service. And she watched as the wife put something into the casket. And she said, what'd you do? She said, well, I made my husband a promise. So what'd you promise? I promised him that when he left, 
Like I would put all of his money in there so that he could have it. She's like, well, how are you going to live? How are you going to provide for yourself? She said, well, I feel like I can live uh, pretty comfortably unless he finds a way to cash a check in heaven. <laughs> right? Just let that sink in for a moment. Will you? Do you want to grow spiritually? Stop pursuing things and start pursuing God. Stop loving money and using God and people to get what you want and start loving God and loving people and using what he blesses you with to bless others with for his purposes. Faithfully give God your heart and your tithes and your offerings as a way of loosening the grip that money has on you. Seek first his kingdom, Jesus says. Practice contentment, Paul says. Now listen, if you need help with your finances, we have people in our church who will come alongside you and help you with your finances. Drop us a note, talk to us afterwards, send us an email, and we'll hook you up with someone who can help you with the process and the task of, of reining in your finances. But if you need help with your heart, won't you let us help you? We're going to sing after I pray. And a couple of us will be in the back. And if you want to talk about your heart, let's talk about your heart and getting it right with God and lining it up, whether it's for the first time and surrendering your life to Him or whether it's just praying about something that seems to be consuming you, that's giving you so much trouble with your spiritual life. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we want you to have our hearts, and, and it's, it's a struggle. We live in a world that uh, doesn't lead us that direction. We're surrounded by values that don't share your values. Or we live in a culture of pursuing everything else for value and worth but you. But Lord, we are your children. We believe your word. Your spirit lives inside of us, and so we are on a different trek. And sometimes that's really frustrating, and sometimes that's really difficult, and it's not hard to get off track. But Lord, we thank you for your love and grace that keep calling us back to you. So Lord, guard our eyes and guard our hearts so that we might belong fully and only to you. We pray in Jesus' name.